Hello, I'm Jason Sirotin from the Orthodontic and Dentistry Digital Marketing Agency, Brain Bites Creative, and welcome to the Get It Straight podcast, where we examine the hottest topics in orthodontics and dentistry. I'm joined by my co-host, Judd John, CEO of Odeo, the on-demand orthodontist. Judd, how are you today? Good, Jay. Thanks. On today's show, we're going to be taking a bit of a history lesson and future forecast on orthodontic community from one of the most respected names in the industry, Mr. Chris Benson. Chris Benson has been working with orthodontists regarding the business aspects of their practices for over 25 years. He is currently the president of Benson Koppel and Associates. Chris also serves as the editor-in-chief of the Benson Koppel Resource quarterly newsletter focused on business aspects of running a successful orthodontic practice. He is a frequent guest lecturer at orthodontic resident programs, study clubs, and orthodontic user meetings. He is a contributor to the national orthodontic periodicals and journals. Over the course of Chris's career, he has personally visited over 1,000 orthodontic practices in the United States, Canada, and Australia. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't even know that about you, Chris. If you are considering an orthodontic practice acquisition or disposition, or have questions about what's going on in the community, check out BensonKoppel.com. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. Uh, Jason, Judd, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk to fun and smart people, and you two qualify there. So it's been great to get to know you over the last little bit here. Absolutely. And, and what kind of inspired this conversation is... Judd wrote an article. What was that article called, Judd, that you and Chris kind of? Yeah, Chris Chris gave me a lot of the, the inputs for the article because um, he's a data guy and we, we can't write articles with the fluff that I would have put in independently with, without some, some quality data from Chris. It was called Orthodontic Dreams and Realities. And it was a little bit of a take on um, a modern look and what's going on in the orthodontic community. And, you know, Chris has piles of insights, as just mentioned in his bio about what's going on with the orthodontic resident. Um, there's a lot of movement happening in the orthodontic community with OSOs, orthodontic service organizations, and close enough, uh, formerly of DSO fame. And I should probably know the acronyms. And then you've got the private practice owner right there in the middle. And so, you know, there's uh, for years, I think Chris was tender before there was tender in the orthodontic <laughs> community. He's matchmaking. Um, tender now is a bad name. Maybe you're match.com, Chris. Oh, come on. He's Bumble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris, how did you get your, your start? For those who, who don't know, you've been in the business a while. Uh, yeah, the, the bio actually lies by seven years, so right. I, I guess it's time to update it. I've, I've been around for 32 years, and quite by accident, sometimes that happens. It was, I was fortunate at a fortunate time. I grew up in the Midwest. I went to school um, at Baylor University and graduated from the largest class in Baylor's history in petroleum uh, exploration geology. Um, there was only 34 people in that class, and only two of them, um, you know, are still in the in the oil field. But I wanted to drill oil wells. That's what I wanted to do. I was, I was into, you know, being outside. I figured out this was a major where half your classes, your last couple of years were outside, and um, you know, Texas was it was a cool place to live and and go do that thing. So that's what I wanted to do. Uh, that all dried up and went away. So I actually took a sales job on the Ship Channel in 1984 out of uh, Baylor. Figured I'd just kind of wait it out, parlay that into a, a, an exploration job down the road. And um, 
you know, one thing led to another. A guy uh, at this company took notice of me, moved me to Atlanta. And within about six months of moving to Atlanta, you know, a good friend, new friend uh, there said, I'm going to quit my job with Xerox and sell practice management systems to orthodontists. This was 1988. And I said, you're a fool. And uh, six months later, I quit my job and joined him. We, we started a company that was called uh, Orthodontic Practice Management System. It's now part of the CareStream products. We got bought by Kodak, rolled up a bunch of orthodontic companies and started with not very many orthodontists and grew up to a thousand users. And so I rocked out of the practice management cradle. I understand the business is, you know, great time to be young and the computer business was just starting. And we sold orthodontists, single user, monochrome, green screen computers with 10 megabyte hard disk, you know, back then and saying, look at all this cool stuff. You'll never fill this machine up. And uh, boy, how times have changed. So I did that for 11 years. Um, I moved to North Carolina with my wife and three young children because uh, that's where she was from. Um, and I knew I loved ortho. I met an orthodontist in Greensboro that had a business outside of his practice, a guy named Dr. Jerry Clark, and he did valuations and transitions, just not very well. It was kind of a hobby. And I said, what are you going to do with your business? He said, I'm going to shut it down. It's not making any money. I said, well, I'll buy it. And so kind of blindly, I got into this business that way. And when I bought it, I said, oh, gosh, I don't have the skill set to do this. So I built a great team around me. I've got two partners. Uh, they're really smart. They're, they're much younger than me. And I, I've become kind of the mouthpiece for the business. And they kind of do all the heavy lifting. So that's the short story. It's, it's a only in America kind of story. What, what are your biggest takeaways from this career that you've had in, in this profession? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. You, you, you mentioned the name of the article, dreams versus realities. You know, the reality is we all have to go do something. You know, we have, we have to put food on the table. We, we're, we're driven at different motivation levels to do that. I, I was, I had a father that was a United States Air Force fighter pilot. My friends called him the great Santini. He was a demanding guy. And so I grew up kind of small, awkward, socially, uh, but with the belief, I left high school with the belief that I could do anything if I worked hard enough. And so I just kind of anything I, you know, I, I came into, I, you know, I was I, I surrounded myself with great people. And once I got into ortho, I never wanted to leave. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is that, you know, there's a lot of markets that you can work inside. And we're all, let's face it, inside a market, which means there's buyers and sellers and, and things like that. But for me, the orthodontic space was just heaven. You know, I loved my orthodontist when I was a kid. I kind of wanted to be one, but I didn't want to do the, the academic commitment. But all my life and for 32 years, I think they're just incredible men and women. And I think they change people's lives and um, they operate at the top of the financial economic food chain. And they've been a lot of fun to work with, you know, all of dentistry is that way really. Um, so it was just been a pure joy to spend my career in one place. Um, that's not normal these days, but, um, I love the marketplace, I guess is the answer. Yeah. I, I mean, me too. I was drawn to it. Not as long as you, but as soon as I got a taste of, you know, how great the people were for the most part, you know, there's always, you know, bad eggs, but I would yeah. say out of, out of any group of people I've worked for in my career, there's no better client than an orthodontist especially on, on the stuff that we do. I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's fun. And, you know, I couldn't do what Judd is. I, I wasn't really, you know, the clinical side wasn't my jam. I didn't 
understand it. I didn't like it. I didn't feel that confident about my own smile, I guess, or something. I didn't really want to be looking at people's mouths, but you know, he, he built a career at, at, at Ormco and now he's doing a pretty cool thing with it. But I found that on the business side, orthodontists get so little training and are so hungry that, um, you know, I would get their attention. I didn't have to fight for it. They gave it to me. And it was just, it's been such a pleasure to bump into people all over the, the United States now at meetings and not remember, but have them tell me, you talked to me when I was a resident, you helped me with this, you helped me with that. Thank you, you know, for, you know, you gave you gave me some time on the phone one time and it really meant a lot, but you know, they, it, I don't have to scrounge for and scratch for time to get with them. They want that time. And, and that's a pretty unique space for, you know, a young guy when I got out in, you know, my 20s to do, to do that and to spend a whole career in that is, is pretty cool. Now I'm kind of the old, you know, guy. I'm supposed to be a, a sage, but um, there's a lot of people a lot smarter than I am uh, coming behind me. But um, it's been a lot of fun. I remember my, um, I was going to comment here. I remember my first Chris Benson story was, so we had a mutual friend in Dale Herman. Mm. And uh, at the time I was a territory manager at Ormco in Louisiana. And there we had a, an association with, with Benson Clark and Koppel at the time. And it was just onboarding the orthodontic resident. And so I was looking after the kids at LSU and same as you now they're my buds, but that was, yeah. 10 years ago. Um, but that never changes. And it was, it's funny cause I used to come in and do lunch and learns on the Damon system and, um, various other products. I mean, and they were really polite and kind, but we just eat sushi and cut up and, you know, while I'm <laughs> doing that, but when, when I invited Chris Benson on and it was an hour with Chris and it was talking about the business aspects of the practice, like the food was uneaten for 30 minutes and everyone was locked in. And I'm like, what have I been doing wrong here? Like, I just, they, they don't want to know how to ligate a, a Damon bracket. You know, this is what they're really getting them high. And that's when I started to kind of get appreciation, not just for you, but, but really this massive gap that, that clearly wasn't getting articulated in the orthodontic residency. When, when did you discover that there was a gap at the residency level? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, back when I started, the way I visioned my business, Benson Copeland Associates now, we do valuations and transition work and now some recruiting. But, but I, the way I saw it was, okay, there's 9,000 orthodontists in the country and I have buyers and I have sellers, but I only have 380 buyers a year. That's what we graduate. And maybe 5% of the market's in play at any given time. And I have 35 years in between. And so what we became good at transactionally is being able to negotiate the deals, high level of trust, you know, the tax angle, the legal angle, the financial angle, all those kinds of things we could package up and turnkey and now even recruiting. But um, what people really wanted to know, you know, early on in that residency and then all throughout their career was what's happening in the market? What are the going rates? What are the trends? What's coming? What do I need to change? How much should I be spending here and there? And there, there weren't a lot of resources outside of the McGill Hill letter and the call your letter, a newsletter to do that. So we found a real niche in, you know, calling the, the, the universities because I wanted to know all these 380 kids that were graduating uh, every year and saying, hey, can we come in and do a launch and learn? And um, I need at least an hour. 
And um, we just found this great hunger. We kept getting invited back. And I just didn't have the, the gas power, the, the bandwidth to do 65 programs a year by myself or the money, quite frankly. So we, we started, you know, using Zoom in later years and we added some resource to that. But I can get into a program pretty much uh, carte blanche at any time because uh, of the of the information set. And there's just not a lot of people presenting that. So it's been a good place. But yeah, pretty early on, we learned that if you want to talk about business, you can get in you know, because, you know, you're not really selling your product. Um, and we really saw ourselves as an educational company. And I can take it from sort of the orthodontic OEM side, the, the project that's always of high interest, but almost perpetually on the shelf is the orthodontic residency program because of exactly what you described and it's quite, quite a long play. And, you know, and it's like being comfortable with, okay, I'm going to build a relationship. And then, you know, in five years, there could be some sort of transaction or never. And, you know, I think to, I, would you say that, that you have to really enjoy the relationship to some extent in order for you to engage there when there might even not be a payback? Yeah, you know, I, I think you do. And I think, you know, I found that I loved teaching and presenting information because I, I really, the endorphins I got from the response were, were, were off the hook. Uh, people liked the information. People thought it was valuable and so forth. And it is a long play. You have to do it for a long, long time in order to A, build trust. But I was the new kid in the valuation business and I had Roger Hill and John McGill and Dick Collier and you know some, some pretty big old names, all older than me and smarter. And I said, you know, they're not spending the time here. I'm gonna get to know the residents. So for years, the early years, 80, you know, well, of, of this company, 2000 to 2005, people thought all we did was buyer representation for younger doctors because that's mm -hmm. where we spent so much time. And um, as it turns out now, we're we're probably the largest. We, we, we touch more transactions than any other company and I think have the highest level of trust um, in the orthodontic space with regards to both buyers and sellers and mid-career people because of the the investments we've made. But it's a it's a long run for Ormco. When you think about it, Jed, I mean, why as a rep would you spend any time here? Because most of the reps are going to go outside your territory. There's no return on that relationship. So you have to build a team and you have to have leadership, you know, that says this is valuable, you know, because the the I, I rocked out of sales, man. I understand sales and salespeople, good salespeople migrate to the weakest part of the comp plan and um, th they know where they can make money mm -hmm. and they, they can't make money talking to residents. Um, it's it's on their sheet of things that are interesting for them to do and, and expected, but if I don't get paid, I'm not going to have any interest in it. And so I think that's why it doesn't work with bigger companies. You have to build a team that's just dedicated to that and that's expensive and we have short term views in most uh, big American companies. So, you know, because we've got to get these fast returns. So it was a long play for sure. It's turned out well for us. Well, it was a wonderful channel synergy that we had with you at that time. And I think there was a little bit of borrowed authority happening there because it was even if I was sushi guy, as long as you were on the line, it, it made sense for everybody. Yeah, it's help, helpful for both of us. So that was great. Yeah. Where is, in, in your opinion, where is orthodontics going? with all the changes in the space from the, the lack of, of available residents to go into positions to um, competition for orthos, 
Um, how is the world going to change? You know, I think it's going to be a better lifestyle for orthodontists over time. And I don't think it's ever going to go away. We're going to have lots more options. And we, we have more, lots more options than we did at the beginning of my career. The beginning of my career, you were smart. You got into ortho. Maybe there's a bit, little bit of politics to do that. Maybe there wasn't. You didn't come out with tons of debt. And your choices were, I can go start up my own deal. Um, that was $250,000 maybe. Um, uh, but most people went and worked for another orthodontist as an associate for 700 bucks a day back then. And then they hoped that that would turn into a partnership. And if it didn't, they'd bounce out after a while and either buy something or, and those were the only choices. What can you do today? You can, you know, 85% of the residents say, I don't want to buy anything right now because I got a, a pile of debt. And so I'm going to go work for somebody, but you know what? I'm going to make great money, which I couldn't do before. And I'm going to have great benefits. This whole generation is, you know, you know, really much more balanced than mine. You know, I was just wired to work. That's all I knew how to do. And that my whole generation was like that. We couldn't get, you know, comfortable with millennials coming into our practice, leaving at five o'clock because we thought, you know, you really do the work from five to seven at night and you better get it here at six in the morning till eight. And then you see the patients and then, you know, but, you know, it's they're much more balanced than we are. And the technology is allowing us to do some things. And so. You know, I think I think the lifestyle is going to be better. I think the incomes are going to be higher. I think it's always going to been competitive. It will always be competitive. You compare it to where do you want to go if you don't want to be an orthodontist? You want to go to medicine? That sucks. You want to go into be a hedge fund manager? That's cutthroat. You want to go sell bonds in New York? You know, that's unbelievable pressure. You know, I think it's one of the best lifestyle businesses in the United States and the Hands world down. probably. And, you know, people can say, yeah, it's not as good as it used to be. Okay. Uh, so it's not it's still awesome. <clears throat> you know, instead of a 10, it's a nine and a half. <laughs> I, my wife goes, I think you're trying to get one of the kids to be an orthodontist because I'm talking Amen. about it all the time. I said, listen, if you want to have like a real good life and make good money and have that space, yeah, you got to be really smart to do it. But man, is it, it seems great. Now I couldn't have done it. I'm not smart enough, but man, I would have liked to. <laughs> yeah. You know, these are, these are unbelievable CVs that I see coming out. I mean, not only they're smart, they're well-rounded. They've been, they travel across the world. They play first year the violin and the symphony in town. I mean, they run marathons. They, they do some incredible stuff. And so it's a competitive, complex world out there. But for the ones that get through it, it's going to be great. If my kid wanted to be one and was smart enough to be one, would I support it knowing what I know about the market? Hell yeah. And and we set up a business probably from scratch. So it looked and felt like the culture that we wanted to. We, we could build it. I think building to a million is just easy. And so 60% overhead, I got a million dollar practice. I got a $400,000 a year job. And I am working three days a week. If I want to build it to two, three, four, five million, that's there all day long. If I want to put the the sweat into it, so you know it's there. I think dentistry is the same way, um, and I think there's just a lot more options, and that's good. Um, this is a great, great space. It's a massive space. I mean, you nailed it. That's everything that I like. I've been telling the kids over and over again. Of course, because I want them, they won't be orthodontists. But uh, right. your kids are <laughs> what, the actors. You already named them that way. <laughs> yes. What, Chris? What do you think is the number one thing that residents need to be thinking about coming out of school? 
I, I tell you, I have a lot of conversations um, about this. So I, I think the first thing is, where do you want to live? And that, that's what I tell them to focus on. They get hung up with a lot of different things, rightly so. Uh, you know, they're young, they got a lot of debt, they're, they're looking for the, 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 the right move, and they got a lot of stress on them about what that move is. But I said, if you can solve for, where do I really want to put down some roots? Um, your decision matrix gets infinitely easier because then you look around and you, and you say, is there anything to buy? Is there any place to build? Uh, do I want to do that? Or is there any place to work? And, and those three options are, are what you look at. And then you go from there. The only downside of working for somebody is a non-compete that I might be bound to for a while if I, if I boogie from that deal, right? If it doesn't work out because I want to live in Overland Park, Kansas, my hometown. And I decided I didn't want to make the investment to buy. I couldn't find a place and I'd get comfortable with the risk to build. So I went to work for X in Overland Park. I worked there for three years. Now I want to own my own practice and I want to live in Overland Park. But guess what? I signed a non-compete and I can't do that for a year. So that's the that's the rub on that. So you got to negotiate around that. But I think to answer your question, where I want to be simplifies your life a lot. The second thing is how to what modality do I want to work in? Do I want to be an employee? have great benefits, work three days a week, make 300,000 a year. I can do that over some period of years in a lot of places. Um, and I'm, I can, I can boogie easier. I can move around, you know, I'm, I'm agile. I can live in different cities. Um, so that's a big deal is, you know, what, what is your modality? And then a lot of residents say, I just don't know. And I said, well, do you think, you know, you're going to be a practice owner? Um, most orthodontists in the last eight years, are not wired to be good partners, but we're having a whole lot more partners. Why aren't they wired to be good partners? They're too darn independent. You know, they, they like to make their own decisions. They want to decide what color to paint the door. You know, they don't play well in the sandbox with others necessarily. They're, they've got big egos typically. Um, and that's across the board. So if you don't want to be a partner, you know, and you kind of know where you want to be, Go someplace where you're not going to be um, so you can get some experience, work, make as much money as you can, get as much experience as you can, get your speed up, handle some debt, get your financial feet on the ground, and then move to the place you want to be without the encumbrance of a non-compete. Those are some of the things. But I'm, it's, it's, if you can sit down with, with a resident for an hour, I know that I can, I can leave that hour with them intellectually knowing that owning their own practice or buying a practice is the best financial outcome for their in a career. No, if they don't want to do that, that's cool, but that's still true, and it's still there for any resident all day long. If you're going to have um, a – sorry, go ahead. Risks, sorry, Jay. Are the risks what they think they are to go it alone and build their own practice? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of fatigue in the country right now. I mean, I, 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 I still am fortunate to be asked to speak at a lot of places and get a lot of feedback, and I think the number one thing I'm seeing in orthodontic practices today – is staff burnout and doctor burnout. You know, why is that? You know, well, we just came off two years that were really incredibly stressful for doctor owners. Um, not clinically. That's never been the, the issue with doctor mm -hmm. owners. They love that part. They love to diagnose and treat. They don't like HR. They're not good at HR. 
they didn't know what to do when COVID. I don't like on. HR either. Just yeah, just me neither. I'm you know I'm a small business owner too. You know, so no one's ever furloughed people. No one's missed a payroll. You know, no one's had to hire people back or put people on unemployment. We didn't know how to do that stuff. It's totally stressed her out. Then we got the government a little bit in our lives for the first time, telling us how we're supposed to practice when we open back up, how many people we can see, and what kind of. PPE we need to have to protect everybody and the consumers a little skittish. And um, so, you know, we learned a whole lot of new things virtually that we've talked about part of what ODO is about. Um, and, you know, we found that the world bounced back in our favor tremendously. If you look at the ortho space um, and everybody had their best years in, in 25 years last year, it's going to slow down this year but it's going to be our second best year um, in 25 years at, you know, 4% instead of 24% growth. So, you know, it's a good gig, but I think to answer your question, Judd, it's, you know, there's, they're stressed out, man. And, um, and they don't fully appreciate that they'll get through this. Um, it's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. They're just perfectionists and they're scientists and they think small in millimeters and they don't have a big vision that this is all going to be okay. And it's all going to be okay. Yeah. It's Jay. always going to be okay. I before this call. <laughs> I, I, I heard, I heard, um, you know, it was uh, Tom Hanks. He was like, you know, if you're not happy with this, this too shall pass. If you, if you're, if, if everything is going great, this too shall pass. Everything, everything is going to be okay. You just got to wait it out. Um, I wanted to really hit on Judd's article a little bit more. Um, orthodontic dreams versus reality. The, with the tag being trading time for money, the orthodontic associate hiring decision for an orthodontist. <clears throat> why is this, why, first of all, let's start at the basics. Judd, why did you write this article? Chris inspired it. Um, so with uh, simply put, you know, we were, we're, we're in a, we're small business at ODO, we're on man orthodontists. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, we've been working through is obviously we're helping service some dentists on, you know, to increase their ortho channel. Um, but we've had a handful of orthodontists raise their hand. And, and say, you know what, I'm uh, I'm growing so so rapidly here. I, you know, I'm wondering if you might be able to, you know, help me look at some cases or help with some monitoring. And because they trust Dr. John, John's a world class aligner uh, orthodontist, so it's not like they're handing it off to just anybody. Dr. John and Warford. Dr. John Warford, my partner. And so, you know, I, I called Chris. Uh, you know, I've known for some time. It's like, you know, what's your take here? And he's like, well, the things that you're describing. Um, that's, that's something that the orthodontist sees, uh, you know, and, and then he started describing some of these inputs that are in the article, which are trading time for money, um, this rapid growth, um, uh, issue where they're trying to keep up and their, their trade-off decisions are limited. And so the deeper I conversation I got in that, I'm, you know, I, I was a creative writing major in college. So sometimes I just need to write the things that I'm thinking down and that becomes strategy. In, in some ways. And, um, you know, as we're trying to address the, the unmet need for, for some orthodontists, you know, some of Chris's uh, inputs really resonated with me. And so uh, I added just a little sprinkling of prose with some of his inputs to kind of articulate the way I see the world 
for the or through the orthodontic lens, which is there is a need for help in many ways, but I, I needed to kind of consolidate based on his experience on, you know, what are the areas where they would be inclined to raise their hand for virtual help? And, and I think you really, really helped a lot with that, Chris, because um, the, the data is robust and it's, and it's very, very real. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, I've, I've kind of reread it a couple of times and, you know, the more I, you know, talk to some of my old buds who've called me and, 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 you know, said, so tell me more about this thing. The more it's like, you know, I, I've kind of stumbled upon a, uh, I guess you could say a, a problem to be solved that I was unaware of at the outset of my own journey with Odeo. Which is super cool. I mean, that's, that's a big start. You also talk a lot about how, you know, going back to the topic of the article about how OSOs and DSOs are affecting the world. Can you kind of break that down a little bit? How are OSOs and DSOs affecting the hiring process? That one where I think Chris would be optimally equipped to answer. Yeah, but um, let me take that on a table for a second, just on top of one of Chad's comments about, you know, you, you, you took a curve in the road that you didn't expect when you really strategized for the beginning of ODO, perhaps uh, by looking at this orthodontic space and, you know, are there some orthodontists that could, could want my product as, as, as we built it? And I think that's one, one of the beauties of entrepreneurship is, you know, it never really looks exactly how you pictured it um, when you get to, when you get to the end, and and the and the trick is to recognize these forks in the road, go down them, um, and then you know if it works out great. If not, you come back and get back on on the other road that you were on. So my hats off to you to that. I think it's a it's a skill that um, good orthopreneurs uh, ortho uh, yeah preneurs need to need to know. So in the OSO space, you know what we find is there's a real fear of missing out because orthodontists across the United States think, you know, they've heard all these stories. There must be something to all this money. Um, and so there's a lot of misunderstanding, fear, and, and anxiousness about it. And a lot of people looking at it in, in point of fact, only 6% of the orthodontic space is with an OSO. Seems like a lot more than that for the amount of, you know, conversation that it takes and they will forever um, probably uh, be a part of the orthodontic space and they'll increase to a bigger percentage. Um, so then the question is how they've changed things with regards to pricing. They will pay me if I'm getting out of my program way more than Judd would pay me if he was a private orthodontist because, you know, they've got scale and they don't need to make as much um, and so forth. So that's flipped the world upside down. What they haven't figured out to do is how to retain me for five years because the, the data right now is every five years I'm bouncing out and I'm starting my own practice or buying your practice or, or doing whatever. And so you're the resident, right? Yeah. Dr. Dr. Chris, I said I wouldn't do it. But yeah, I that's right. Cause I'm not a doctor, but, the, <laughs> but the doctor retention is the big, you know, not, they have not cracked. Uh, they're all working on it, you know, with, with different ways. Uh, they'll probably get better at it and figure it out with some kind of stock option, you know, scheme and things like that. And it'll work out well for some people. We'll see some residents do, be career employees. Not very many, but we'll see some. Uh, but it will forever offer a place for our doctors to get started. So we're just kind of longer runway children, right? Uh, we, we go to school for 30 years and instead of starting our practice at 31, we're going to start it at 35 or six. That's all right. 
You move out of home at 40, you're straight. <laughs> That's right. So how, but, but how is it affecting the process? I want to understand. How how does it affect the hires, though? It The, the associate hires? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much every associate is is wants to interview and see how much money they can get. You know, it's 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 about money. So if you don't know where exactly you want to live, like I suggested before, you don't know exactly how you want to practice in a group by myself, you know, multi-specialty in corporate, you just will migrate to corporate. And so 85% of the of those 380 residents that are getting out are going to go work for a corporate group. Now, not just these OSOs, there's also a bunch of DSOs that hire orthodontists. There's a bunch of pediatric dentists that hire orthodontists. There's a bunch of GP practices that are big that hire orthodontists and so forth. So, so they go there, but they don't stay there uh, long term. So they go there and they make more money. That puts a whole lot of pressure on um, if Judd's an orthodontist and he's got a two and a half million dollar practice. He says, I can't get bigger without help. I'm willing to trade some time for some money. He's going to have to pay up in order to get somebody to come into his life 30 or 40 percent more than he would have had to pay five years ago before these really took on and started growing. So that's how it's changing the market. But I think the dynamic still works fine. Judd's got to be a little bit if he's the orthodontist, he's got to be a little bit more long term and create a path to equity, perhaps. Uh, if it works out, so it works out well for companies like mine because we're doing a lot of long term planning. We don't want to bring a doctor in and then have them leave for more, you know, 50,000 more a year, you know, next year. And that's happened in the last five years. So it's changing the dynamics of how you look at hiring an associate. The more we got to be more long term minded in the in the private side. And I think the, the public side will actually see some downward pressure after a while when, when the growth slows down. But they're growing so fast, they're just throwing money at it right now because they need workers. Question to follow up on this for the private practice owner that's considering, d- does a private practice owner consider hiring a resident a trade-off decision in any way to being acquired by an OSO from the context of, hey, what if I sell, maybe I can wind it down? Or if I hire an associate, maybe I can wind it down? Or is these things completely unrelated, not binary? I don't think they're binary. I think um, our coaching, at least, would be, you know, I think most orthodontists that call my shop right now are open to a conversation about what is what is the OSO strategy for me, the way my practice is now, where I am in my practice life cycle, versus the traditional way of bringing another doctor into my life to handle some of the stress and pain and uh, wanting to work less um, and so forth. So what are the trade-offs? And the first thing I tell them is if we're going to consider the corporate thing at all, we're not hiring anybody until we go through that process fully. Why? Because they buy practices based on profit and so does the doctor to doctor deal, but they look at profit a little bit differently because they're a corporation. They not only have to hire your staff, they got to hire you to do the two and a half million dollars worth of work. And if there's just one of you, they'll pay you a lot more that you, and you get to keep it all. If there's two of you, they're going to pay you a little bit less because they have less profit in there because they got to pay two doctors instead of one. And they're going to look at you both financially as equals. So if I'm going to get paid a seven multiple on my profit and 350,000 of that is has to be taken out of my profit to pay a doctor, that's $2 million. Um, and if I have two doctors, that's $4 million. So, you know, we can, we, we can train them up on, on, on what they need to be thinking about. So well, they'll go down the corporate deal and they'll say, that's not a fit for me. That is a fit for me. 
And then if I'm going to bring somebody in, um, I will say you will always make less money the first three or four years a new doctor comes into your life, period, whether you want to or not. You know, I have some senior doctors say, I don't want to take a cut in pay and I want help. Said call another shop because I don't know how to do that. Um, you know, so you'll 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 bring another doctor in, they'll get your culture, they'll help you grow. But I tell the senior doctor, they have to grow the practice. Because if you send me, I just got out of school, I'm your little associate, and you say, listen, you help me grow this practice, Chris, uh, to three million dollars, I'll let you be a partner. I'll say, Cool, I'm psyched. I go out into the community and I say, you know, here's my deal with Dr. Johns. He said, if you'll start referring patients because you and I met each other and we like each other and you like me, and I get this practice to grow a little bit, I'll get to be a partner. Guess how many patients that referring dentist, potential referring dentist is going to send to me? Zero, almost zero. I might get one or two here and there, but very, very little. I have no leverage because the dentist is smart. He said, listen, I don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow to finish this case that I'm referring to you. And so the doctor has to bring an associate in and say, I'm gonna grow my business bigger. I have time to do staff development, to do um, team development, to do practice development. And I'm gonna work this orthodontist in the clinic like crazy so I can spend a couple hours and cycles here and there to work on my business. So that's that's the way that usually goes down. Um, both are both are great options. Um, and depending on where you are in your practice life cycle, how much time you have left to work, we can pretty accurately dictate, um, nah, not dictate, predict um, the financial outcomes of doing it this way versus this way. So you need somebody on your team to help you. We're talking to Chris Benson. If you want to learn more about what Chris and his team go, do, go to BensonKoppel.com. I want to go back, Judd, to your article, which if people want to read, they can go to OnDemandOrthodontist.com. Click on the resources tab, and that's where all the blogs are. Judd wrote a great article called Orthodontic Dreams Versus Realities. And Judd, you talk a little bit about the um, idea that we might be in a bubble. And I thought, you know, who better to talk about this than than Chris? Are are we in an orthodontic bubble right now, or is is this going to be around a while? I, I you go ahead, Chris. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. I don't think I, so. I don't think yet. Yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, if we're in a bubble, it's just because we're coming out of the pandemic, and last year was a bubble. Yes, but I think long term, 20, 30, 40 years. That's about as far as I can see. Um, in, into the orthodontic future. Um, I think orthodontics is going to grow. I think the direct-to-consumers companies have taught us. There's a log, large cadre of, of people out there that want to have orthodontics that don't call orthodontists for whatever reason. I'm a great example. I'm 60 years old. I've got aligners in right now um, to fix some crowding. And I wouldn't have paid $6,000 in two years. Um, and David Sarver's doing my case and Mosmo Sherry is doing my scans. And so I, I'm, I'm fortunate to, to, you know, have some tentacles into this world, but in four to eight months, I'm going to have a way better smile. And there's tons of people like me um, that would do that for three or $4,000. But we don't think orthodontists are a good answer for us. We see these commercials at halftime of the, on the bowl games, and who are they? They're SDC. And all those guys are on the ropes right now. So the market is expanding. 
you know, I, I don't think it is a bubble. I think it's going to be good for as long as you want it to be good. I think it's going to be harder. You got to be a better business uh, man or woman. Um, and you need to leverage tools um, really like, you know, what, what ODO does, you know, think about an orthodontist that's getting out of their program that buys a million and a half dollar practice. What they tell us is that they want to do have 50% of their practice being um, in aligners within the first two years. Well, today only one out of four. So they're double the market. They fit very little training. They have very little experience. What a perfect marriage to marry that orthodontist with ODO to have some expertise on the back end, um, get their aligner uh, up as they're learning how to run a business. It's a perfect marriage. You know, I think, you know, ODO is going to take off like crazy, both on the dental side and the orthodontic side. And, um, you know, that's why I'm on this podcast, because I, I don't want to promote an idea that I don't think is going to win. This is a hugely winning idea. And if you think orthodontics is in a bubble and you start a business and leverage the time and the money and the sacrifice that it's going to take to launch this ODO, it's stressful. And, um, you know, you got you to figure out the future of the market. If you think that the market's going to pop and get smaller, I question, you know, your sanity, but it's going to get better. Um, and so it's just hard, you know, small business is hard. And I say to my people, it's good that it's hard because that way not everybody can do it. That's and, right. Uh, Keep them out. You know, when, when, when you got something that makes you think and sweat and takes a lot of cycles to figure out, that's some market security in my view. And uh, so it's not bad that it's hard. Judd, explain, for, I mean, there's probably some people who are listening who are like, uh, yeah, what does ODO do? We haven't really explained it in this podcast. Can you break down what ODO does and how it helps both dentists and orthodontists? Sure. I had a, um, a mentor at one point say, you need to make it pithy and it needs to land in two sentences. So here comes my two paragraphs. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a concierge assisted orthodontic program that focuses on clear aligners. And my partner, Dr. John Warford is a world-class aligner clinician, orthodontist, uh, 18 years in practice. And we utilize a remote treatment technology called dental monitoring, which is uh, just really world-class AI-assisted uh, assessment of a patient that happens weekly. Uh, and through this, this, this technology, we are able to monitor the patient uh, on behalf of the partner orthodontic practice or dental practice. And uh, ultimately, you utilize that triangulated with world-class diagnostics and treatment planning and case design and refinements to go with the monitoring to behave like a virtual associate. Um, and so in effect, you know, and I think our, our, we've got, uh, Chris and I have mutual, and you do too, mutual friends at Gage. We had Suzanne Wilson on the show. She mentioned that the average amount of appointments in office appointments for per patient for aligner cases for orthodontists in North America is 12. Uh, Dr. John and team are regularly landing cases in four or less in most complexities. Um, so ultimately, if you've got an orthodontist that just wants to pick up the mild and they want to learn, like, like Chris said, um, you know, we can, we can help them manage that on the, the modern on up, as, as Dr. John's likes to say, the mild to wild. Um, but if they just want to punt it all and focus on the bracket wires, they can do that too. Man, I've been, I've been in since day one and I agree with, 
with Chris. This is to the moon, baby. <laughs> and, and I would say just it, with my treatment, I'm also a dental monitoring patient. And so, you know, I've You're got pulling it in so we can see it, Chris. That's the new Scanbox Pro. We can't see it yeah. because he's got oh, yeah, the green yeah. screen on. Okay. Yeah, that's, but, there it is. That's what it looks but, like. But I've got a Scanbox Pro and I told Sarber, I said, I want to do aligners and I want to do it in five appointments. And so I've had two. I got a 15 uh, aligners in my first box. I'm going to come. I mean, I'm on my fifth tray right now, 10 more weeks. So I'm going to be there for a refinement. And then I told him I'd see him when I'm taking off my uh, attachments and he's cleaning me up a little bit. And so, you know, if you can't make money in five appointments on three or $4,000 with, a, you know, this product, you know, I think there's a huge amount of people that could do that. Or maybe I am full phase. I don't know. And there's a huge amount of people that would do that. We want to see a specialist. We want to get our teeth straight and um, we just don't want to see you in your office very much. And there's a lot of tools to do that. And I think what Judd has, has tapped into is what the consumer wants, um, but more appropriately, what general dentists need and what a, a number of orthodontists that are, are struggling to keep up with figuring out their digital workflow, figuring out how to do these things. They need an expert on their side and that's what he's providing. And so I think it wins on both sides of it. And I think the market just gets bigger. It's amazing. Gentlemen, thank you both for your time. If you are looking to transition your practice, whether you're going to uh, go through acquisition or disposition, call or email Benson Koppel, go to bensoncoppel.com. Chris, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. If you are looking for digital marketing for your practice, please contact BrainBytes Creative at brainbytescreative.com. Digital marketing is your fastest way to more starts. Contact BrainBytes Creative today. Geographic exclusivity, no contracts, just digital marketing that really works. Visit brainbytescreative.com. If you're a dental clinician and are interested in creating more revenue for your practice, look no further than the on-demand orthodontist. ODO provides end-to-end -end aligner treatment, guidance, and materials so you can profitably deliver smile transformations to most smile occlusions in four appointments or less. Visit ondemandorthodontist.com. On behalf of the entire Get It Straight podcast team, I'm Jason Sroden, and we'll see you next time.